Today on the podcast, we return to a conversation I started a couple of months ago when I announced here on the show that I am no longer vegan. Today, we are talking about food, about diet, nutrition, nourishment. I share a more in-depth story of how I actually transitioned away from veganism and toward a more animal foods-based diet. I share how this transition happened for my daughter and how I navigated that with her, also a little bit around how it was for my husband and how we made this change as a family. This is a big, beautiful conversation, and I'm so happy that you're here. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's jump in. Okay, my friends. Hello, hello. Welcome to a brand new episode of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. And to what I think is a fairly anticipated episode. We are going to talk about something today that I've been wanting to dive deeper into, a conversation I started a few months ago that I have been wanting to pick back up. But I've been waiting for things to settle a little bit, for me to feel grounded and really steady before I go deeper into this, sharing this journey with you publicly. And uh, right now I'm feeling so very good. And I feel like today's a great day to talk about this. So today on the show, we are talking about food. We are going to talk about diet, nutrition, nourishment, Particularly, I'm going to share with you more in depth around how I have been feeling as I've transitioned away from the vegan diet that I was very rigid around for many, many, many years. What I'm eating now, how I'm feeling, and I'm going to answer as many of your very thoughtful questions that you've sent in. I just used Instagram to collect some questions and I got some really, really great ones some that I'm really excited to to talk about. So this is going to be just almost like a little Q&A, but very centered around, around food. So <laughs> I recommend if you are brand new to this podcast, or if you had no idea that I'm not vegan anymore, or this conversation feels just very strange to you, I suggest you go back a couple months and you listen to the episode around why I transitioned away from veganism. That's a a good place to start because I don't want to copy and kind of say the same things that I've already said in another podcast episode. But just to kind of give a little mini summary, basically, I started feeling depleted on the vegan diet and not only physically depleted, like something was like I wasn't getting what I needed in that in that very specific way from food. But I started feeling spiritually depleted. I started feeling like like this label that I had held on to for so long around veganism, like it was getting very confining and very restricting. And it's something that that happened over many years, actually, over, you know, it's been a long time ago. You'd have to go way back in this podcast, for example, to hear me mention the word vegan even. Um, I stopped talking about veganism in that big 
kind of activist way many, many years ago because I stopped aligning just with that message. <laughs> I stopped wanting to tell people what to do and how to live their lives. And part of that, I think, was because I was feeling a little bit more unsteady in my own, in my own role as a vegan and a little bit more unsteady around why I was vegan and how was I feeling being vegan and struggling with my health for a long time. And yeah, so this definitely wasn't an overnight thing. It wasn't like I was, you know, a PETA militant vegan out there being an activist. And then the next day I'm like, mm, let me wake up today and eat some steak. Like, obviously it did not happen that way. But it took a really long time. Um, but it's not until the past sort of year and a half, almost two years, that those thoughts became stronger. And I started feeling this draw, this pull away from veganism. Like all of a sudden, I wanted to eat animal-based foods, which was a very strange realization to have. And I can so relate to every vegan person who, you know, listened to that podcast that I released around kind of announcing I'm not vegan anymore or watching me share little snippets on Instagram stories of what I eat now and then just feeling completely shocked and maybe even appalled and upset and how, how? When I was vegan, I really felt that way. Like, how can people eat animal foods? Like, how can they do that? It's so bizarre. It's so unnatural. Like, I really felt like it was so strange, so bad for you. I... I, I couldn't relate, right, at all. And I kind of spent most of my time feeling like I was on a very high horse, like I was on a very high pedestal. I was doing it the better way, the right way. And everyone else was wrong. And that was a really comfortable place to be <laughs> for a long time because it meant I didn't have to listen to my own intuition at all. I didn't have to do any work. <laughs> I didn't have to read. I didn't have to have uncomfortable conversations with people. I just kind of settled in that place. Like I'm doing it the better way. Everyone else is wrong. And that is that. And then as my health started declining or I had different kinds of issues, I would always find something else to blame it on. As I had doctors, many, many doctors tell me that I was lacking in my diet as I was doing a lot of medical testing, which I started doing already 2017 when my daughter was born. At the end of that year, I started my first round of trying to figure out what was happening with my health. 2019 was when it really peaked. And I did every lab imaginable, right? I did stool, urine, blood, um, different kinds of analysis, you know, for my hormonal health and my gut health, like so much. And every lab I did, every doctor I sat with came back and said, well, ha hey, you're anemic. You need more, you need more iron in your diet. And I sat there and I was like, no, they're wrong. <laughs> I'm eating tons of leafy greens. Like I'm eating so many iron rich foods. Like I'm eating so much tofu and I'm eating lentils and all the seeds, like the hemp and the pumpkin seeds and kale and spinach, all the things, all the vegan books tell me that I'm supposed to be eating to take care of my iron levels in my body. Like I'm doing that. And as the lab said, well, you're iron deficient, which was a big reason as to why I was feeling so tired so much of the time. I also had high, you know, high pressure job, wasn't sleeping well. Like I always found something else to blame it on. Like, okay, I just need like two more hours of sleep every night. 
and then I'll feel good. I just need to eat more kale. Like I really thought that that was the solution to a lot of my issues. If I just had more kale, <laughs> never mind that I was eating kale like four times a day, kale smoothie in the morning and then like a green powder thing for lunch and then something, you know, I was like really, really, really trying so hard to eat all the superfoods and extra of all the things that was supposed to be really good for me. But then my, you know, like I was low on iron. I was low on a bunch of stuff. This was back then, 20, yeah, 2018, 19, especially 19 when I got all those labs done. And it didn't matter to me what those doctors said, even, you know, functional medicine doctors that I was paying a lot of money to help me figure out what was wrong with my health. They're like, you, you really should consider just bringing some kind of animal foods into your diet to address this and, and a bunch of other things. I had a lot of amino acids that were completely low or lacking in my diet and they would prescribe me these, okay, here's protein powders that you're going to have to take to, 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 to make up for these things. And one of these doctors actually gave me a supplement that I didn't know that was beef-based to help me with my adrenals and just like a lot of things that weren't working for me. And I didn't know it wasn't vegan. So she had me on like a protein powder and then this beef, I forget exactly what the supplement was, but it was derived from cow. And I didn't know, right? And I was taking this and then all of a sudden I was like looking at the bottle. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Like this is not vegan. Oh my God. And I, and I contacted this doctor. I was so upset. Like, how could you have me eat this? And she was like, I'm so sorry, but this is like a minimal, the, the lowest amount. Like you need this to recover, like for your body to, to get better. And I thought you, I thought you would be okay with this. And like, she, you know, we just had a misunderstanding there. And I was so pissed. I dropped her right away. I was like, I'm never working with this person ever again. I was so upset, which of course, like I, you know, and any vegan would be, <laughs> but I look back at this now and I was like, how many people had to tell me to try something different, you know, just to try something different, to open your mind a little bit. And I was so stuck in the, the vegan way is the only way. And it will be, I will sacrifice my own well-being. I will sacrifice my health. I will sacrifice my body, my energy levels, my iron levels, my B vitamin levels, like my protein intake, like all the things I was really convinced just didn't matter, right? I read so, I read every vegan book on earth, starting with diet from a new, for a new America, which was like written back in the 90s, I think. I read that when I was 17 or 18 years old. And then every big book after that covered, like I read the China studies, I read all the things. And I was so convinced that actually the idea of not getting enough protein is a myth. Someone, If someone would argue with me about that, I literally would say, you can eat only potatoes in your diet and you will have enough protein. Like if you only eat potatoes, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you will have enough protein. The, the, this myth that you don't get enough protein, it's just made up by the beef industry and it's made up by factory farming, horrible corporations that just want us to eat in a certain way. <laughs> and I was so sure that this was it, right? I was so sure. And the more I read, the more vegan books and vegan podcasts and vegan experts that I followed online, the more set in my ways I became. So when I got all those labs back and when I had actual doctors tell me different 
And even disregarding that, because I could always find like a vegan doctor that would tell me something else, right? But when my body was giving me signs that something's not right, like I was feeling depleted, but I refused to acknowledge that. Even then, you know, it would take me years to even begin opening my my mind a little bit to trying something different. And looking back at this now, I just... I feel really I feel really sad to be honest for that that version of me who needed so much more and I was really depriving myself of so much of what I needed particularly postpartum which is one of the times of our lives where we need the most nourishment the most support around our nutrition in every way and that was when I was starting to strip the most stuff away you know, I think the first thing I had after giving birth with Leia was like I had a bowl of fruit and then I had a green smoothie. <laughs> and, I, and I think about what will most likely be my first meal after giving birth and now and how just polar opposite of that that's going to be. And just how drastically my my view on nutrition and real nourishment, like how much it's changed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So a beautiful question that I got, which I really love is, what is the, the biggest change that you've experienced since transitioning away from veganism? And one of the things I just, I, that's the most palpable for me is I feel like I got my intuition back more than, you know, physical things that have changed like digestion or skin or energy or sleep, or, you know, I, I'm going to get into all those things too. But for me, the biggest, biggest, biggest shift is I stopped depriving myself and I didn't even know I was depriving myself. I thought I was giving myself everything I needed and I was the most healthy and I was doing better than everyone else, right? Taking better care of myself. But what I really was is I was stripping so much away. And I was also looking at life that way, navigating life that way. Anywhere I went, whether it was dinner at a friend's house or going to a restaurant or going to the grocery store, I had these kind of glasses on that would cut huge chunks of everything away. No, not that, not that, can't have that, can't have that, can't have that, can't have that. And just my my view of what I was allowed to eat, what I was allowed to put into my body was so deprivation focused. But it was my life. And I didn't think that. I just was thinking like, I'm a vegan in a non-vegan world. Of course, it's going to be hard. But letting go of that and knowing now I can eat anything I want to eat. I can eat whatever I want. Not only can I eat whatever I want, but actually my body can manage and thrive on and feel really good and communicate with me around what it needs in every area of life. I feel just like I've completely turned upside down my view of, of, of what nourishing myself means from a deprivation lens to a lens of abundance, to a lens of 
There is so much nutritious food out there. There is so much available to me. I can choose from everything, like everything. (laughs) It's kind of like the world is my oyster now. That's the feeling I have. And not depriving myself of so much anymore really shifted things for me emotionally, also energetically, spiritually. It wasn't just this pure physiological dietary change. Like it really changed how I wake up in the morning and how I navigate through life. And the strange thing is I didn't know, like I really didn't know. And the freedom I feel now, it's a a different life. (laughs) It truly is. And this is very hard to explain to someone who is still looking at the world through that vegan lens It's impossible, actually, to explain. Like, I could not have explained this to myself when I was still living with that vegan label. And I would have said, like, anyone who feels that way is a little crazy or stupid or uneducated or, you know, like, I really thought that, like, vegan was the only way. And now, looking back, like, do I feel like I was a little bit brainwashed? Do I feel, like, do I regret it? I I don't believe in regret because... It is what it is, and we can't do much about that. But I do feel sad for myself postpartum. Like that's the part of my life that I look back at and like, oh, I needed, I needed something so different then. And I can really see it my postpartum time after I gave birth to Leia as like the beginning of the decline in my health. And I understand why now. I didn't understand why then. And that's kind of the only part I, that makes me feel a little bit like, oh, like I'm holding on to some some grief there, I think. But I don't feel regret. You know, I had a great life. <laughs> I've been very, you know, happy and moving through my life, feeling feeling like I was doing the right thing, right? I wasn't walking around feeling like I'm depriving myself. Like I, I was very unaware And of course, to add the first years of veganism, I felt amazing, like most people do when they transition to veganism. You feel amazing, right? You start putting your body into this kind of, which we don't don't understand at the time, but this kind of perpetual stress where our adrenaline is really high all the time because we need to look for food, right? We're kind of like hungry all the time. So we get really alert the way we are wired to be when we don't get what we need. And for me, when I transitioned into veganism, there was so much that changed at the same time. And I accredited all of it to to being vegan, all of it, not really taking into consideration that I had changed every aspect of my life. I kind of put all of those benefits just purely to veganism. And if that was the case now, I would feel shitty now, right? Like letting go of the vegan food, I, I should feel terrible or bad or worse or get old ailments back or anything like that. But it's it's not what's what's happening um, at all. I feel better now <laughs> and I'm pregnant, which is kind of a heightened, <laughs> challenging state to be in. At least it is for me. I feel better better now than I have in many, many, many years. But yeah, the the greatest benefit by far is that feeling of freedom and that connection back to my intuition, which is something I didn't even know I was missing. (laughs) So a question I have been getting a lot, which I know people are so interested in, 
is how was it for your family to go from being vegan to this way of eating now? And I think I really want to have Dennis on the show so we can talk about this from his lens. I don't want to speak on, you know, on his behalf, but he was reluctant in the beginning. And when I asked him about it, like why he was reluctant, he felt, he said, well, when you change your mind in three months and you realize like, holy shit, this was crazy and you don't feel better and this was just something you tried, he said, it's going to be so hard for me to go back to being vegan. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, being vegan is like, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Like it's always been a challenge. It's always been a struggle. Like I've, there's other things I've wanted to eat, but I'm making myself eat this way because it's supposed to be better, right? And better for the environment and better for the world and better for my health, but it's always a struggle. And if all of a sudden <laughs> you're starting to cook differently at home and now we're eating fish and now we're eating egg. And then in three months, you're like, hey, hey, hey wait, 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 I'm going to go back to vegan. And now you're only going to cook vegan food. He said, it's going to be a huge problem for me to go back. And that was such an eye opener <laughs> for me. And I'll, I'll let him kind of talk, you know, about this more on his own when we have a podcast together. But that feeling that that being vegan was an uphill battle. And he was very aware of that. Like he was, he knew that being vegan is fucking hard. And I never felt that way. I felt like, well, of course it was hard because, you know, traveling or going out to eat or finding food at the grocery store, whatever, you know, of course it's limiting, but I always felt like, but it's the right thing to do. So who cares, right? Like it's worth the sacrifice of life being a little bit more challenging. And he never felt that way. He felt like this is kind of an uphill battle, but I'm going along with it. And he knew that if I go back and now I eat fish again, like I'm going to be eating fish. So for him, for him, fish was the most, like the biggest, most eye-opening thing when he, and this is a Caribbean man, right, with ancestors that date all the way back to the Arawak tribes, like real indigenous, like he has indigenous blood on his mom's side of the family. And what has been their main source of food for, I don't know how long they have been in that area, a thousand years, like forever it's been fish of course living on a tiny island in the caribbean like fish is the main source of it has been the main source of food for his ancestors and for him his whole life and when he started eating fish again he, he like I, I you have to hear him tell this story but when he ate fish for the first time after being vegan he's like i could feel like this is it's like a primal feeling, like a visceral primal thing. Like my body has been missing this. Like I need this. Like he feels so energized, so nourished, so like, oh my God. He's like the feeling of eating fish for him was, he, he compared it to like drugs. He's like, it's like my, all my cells light up and it's like, oh my God. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, you know, that's a, that's a really big reaction to have, like to reintroducing a food. <laughs> like that's a really, it's not just like, oh, I'm eating this and whatever. It's not a whatever. It was a huge thing for him to go back to, to eating fish. But so, yeah, so for him also, because most of the transitions and changes that, that happen in our family, like I'm the instigator of them. I'm the one who cooks at home, like all, every meal, I'm the one who cooks. So of course I have more say and more direction around how like our family is eating. 
I'm the one making the grocery lists. I'm the one, like he's normally the one to do the grocery shopping, especially now because I'm very, very lazy being pregnant, but I'm the one who writes the lists and like researches what to eat and plans the meals and cooks the meals. So of course, you know, I kind of take the lead in that area. And when I, being vegan before he was vegan many, many years ago, it annoyed me so much that he would like, you know, I would make a great vegan meal and he would like put a wahoo or like a, yeah, like a big piece of fish, like on top of that or on the side of that. Or he would put steak or meat or he would buy something and he would just put it on top. And I was so triggered by that. I was so upset with that. I felt like I'm putting like pouring love into this amazing meal and you're just like ruining it with this like gross thing that is making you sick. That's going to give you a heart attack. Like all the things I thought was the way. And I kind of, you know, (laughs) I don't want to say bullied him into being vegan, but I took his options away, right? Like that really was, of course, he's a big boy. He's a grown man. He could have any t- at any time chosen to not be vegan or to start cooking his own food. But it would have been an uphill battle for him to do that. Like it would have been met with resistance from me. I would not have liked it, especially raising Leia vegan. It would have been a huge issue in our family if he all of a sudden was eating fish or meat and we, we were vegan. So even though I say like he has options, like he has options, but they were not really good options, (laughs) right? So yeah, so he was vegan for a long time, not feeling like veganism was easy or the great, easy, perfect, smooth thing to do. And um, when I started researching and I started kind of opening my mind a little bit more to what if veganism isn't the only way, I probably had a year of those thoughts, of reading a little bit, of seeing something online and like going down a little rabbit hole or mm, listening to a podcast. And of course, talking to the doctors that I was working with to help get my health back on track that were constantly (laughs) talking to me about introducing some form of animal product. Like I I had time there where Dennis was not involved in that inner thinking. We were not having those big conversations together. It was just kind of me beginning to do that work. And then when I got to a place of, hey, I'm going to I'm going to eat my first egg. It was a complete shock. <laughs> like he couldn't he couldn't believe it. He was like, this is like are you are have you lost it? Like are you what? You know what like like he just he couldn't understand, you know, because he was very far away from that mindset still from that shift. So when I started eating egg and I started incorporating egg, he was away. We, we spent almost three months apart. We were, Leah and I was in, were in Sweden. He was in Aruba. And I kind of had to like confess to him, you know what? Like I feel like, like I really want to eat egg. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but you're not going to do that. I'm like, yeah, but I really want to. Like I, I've, I'm dreaming about egg. I'm dreaming about egg yolk. <laughs> like I, like I feel really drawn, like I'm really thinking about it. And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's never going to happen. And then I had my first egg and he was like, jaw on the floor. <laughs> like I could have told him like, hey, I, I did crack cocaine last night. And he would have been like, <laughs> just as shocked. Like it was just like, he could not believe it. And then when he was coming to Sweden, we were finally connecting. Like after being apart for so long, I had to prepare him. I had to be like, hey, just so you know, there's like, we have egg in the kitchen now. He's like, okay, well, I'm not eating it. I'm like, you don't have to. Like, this is just like something I'm doing. And 
testing out. I was having it then, I think maybe like one egg a week. And it was a huge deal for me to have one egg a week, like really, really, really massive thing. And he came to Sweden and like saw, saw egg in the kitchen. It was like, oh my God. Yeah, no, you do this. And when you change your mind in three months, I'll be here, you know, doing what, what we've always been doing, which is this vegan thing. But then that didn't happen, right? I didn't feel grossed out or bad or had a had bad reaction. I had that feeling, that, that response that Dennis had to fish, I had with egg. Like the feeling of every cell in my body just like coming alive again. <laughs> like goosebumps, like quite kind of like the wiring was reconnecting in my body again. Just really, <laughs> it sounds like I'm exaggerating now, but it was not. I'm not exaggerating. It was it was really something. And I started eating more. I went from like one a week to like maybe two a week. And then I remember making Dennis's like his first, the first egg he had. And he took a bite and he was like, oh my God, gross, gross. <laughs> he just didn't even want it. Put it away. And then we just, we had like some time like that where we were just like trying things out. He started getting more relaxed and the idea of, okay, maybe like, Rachel's diet is transitioning. Maybe I can actually let mine transition too, because he was really, he really was nervous that I was going to kind of bring fish back into our world and then take it away, which to me sounds so fucking heartbreaking to say now that that's how rigid our lifestyle as a family was. That's how harsh and shaming I was in my own like dietary views, like really fucking bizarre. And then he, he, he started eating fish and he was like, yeah, this is like, I'm never going back. <laughs> like I'm never not eating fish again. And he's very particular around the fish that he likes. He doesn't like Swedish fish. He doesn't like sweetwater fish, like fish that that's been fished in a lake or the fish that we eat in Sweden, which is, is very, very like soft and flaky. Like he's used to the big ocean fish that he grew up eating, which is fish that swims really far distances and they build muscle. So he he loves mahi-mahi and wahoo and tuna and yeah, just like different kinds of fish. And we don't really get that in Sweden and definitely not sourced <laughs> locally in any way or, you know, so he would just kind of like, if he could source it or find it, he would treat himself. But then he would eat Swedish fish and go like, Swedish people put a lot of dairy and we put a lot of cream and there's always dill on everything. And it's just a very different way to consume fish. And he just, he was craving what he was used to from home, which makes so much sense. Um, and then <laughs> we were kind of doing this egg on and off. He's eating fish when he can get it and kind of thing at home. And I decide I'm going to go from, like, I still hadn't had fish then. I just was on my egg train and I decide, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to go for something bigger, which for me, the next step was I wanted to eat bone broth. You've probably heard, I mean, it's like a huge thing now. It's very trendy to eat broth, but it's actually a very ancestral thing. It's something that my great grandparents and their parents used to do with like every time you cooked chicken, you would save the bones and throw them in a pot with water and some spices and just let that simmer forever. Making stock, making a bouillon, making, you know, making a broth. It's, it's, it's very, very, very ancient way to, 
preserve and to really use every part of the animal if you're eating animal and to source really high levels of nutrients from those animal foods. And it was one of those things that my doctor was telling me, this is going to be very good for your gut health. I was dealing with SIBO. I was dealing with probably what was leaky gut. Like I'm not super sure, but I I had all those symptoms. He didn't want me to use that term because it's, he said it's probably going to screw you up mentally more than it's going to help you physically. It's the idea that you have leaky gut. But just a lot of years of eating a high carb diet, of really not getting enough complete proteins and complete amino acids in my diet, depriving myself of fat. I really, really think I was for many years, like underweight. Like I actually think my body is supposed to weigh a couple kilos more than I do in my kind of regular vegan non-pregnant state. And I always used to think like I should be a little skinnier, right? But I actually am thinking now, like probably a lot of us, that kind of view that we have of the of the female body like what we're supposed to look like probably we could all add like five or six kilos at least to that (laughs) whatever our shape is like we're all (laughs) we all have a view of here's what healthy looks like and I am really starting to become convinced that what's really healthy for us as women is 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 a little bit bigger than that a little bit softer (laughs) than that we could all use more fat in our diets and particularly more animal fats. But yeah, so I wanted to eat bone broth and uh, and I decided, okay, like I can source this. I can get it at a grocery store. I can get it. There's a site in Sweden that sells it like grass-fed, pure, and it comes like dehydrated. So you just add hot water. And I was like, no, if I'm going to eat animal foods, because I was really feeling comfortable eating egg then, sourcing my egg from next door farm, like the way I still do it now, We're going to get our own chickens in April, so soon it will be our own eggs from our own chickens, which is going to be so fun. But I felt ethically really good about how I was sourcing my egg and knowing that the chickens that I sourced my eggs from had a really good life in super small scale farms, and I felt just ethically good about that. But taking that step to all of a sudden I'm going to eat an animal food that actually comes from an animal having died for me to eat it. And I sat with that for so long. I mean, (laughs) you, you can probably imagine what a big deal having been vegan for so long, all of a sudden, you know, and I wasn't gonna, my, my first thing wasn't like, I'm gonna eat a whole animal. Now I'm gonna eat a steak, but I'm gonna cook something from the bones of an animal. And that animal would have died anyway. Those you know, the people would have eaten the meat from that animal anyway, and I would source it from a ne- this next door farm that they use nose to tail, they save everything, they utilize everything from the animal. But like, none of that matters, you know, like, it's, it's animal, it's a, it's, it's, it, it's a being that was breathing with a beating heart. And I'm gonna take their bones, and I'm gonna make essentially soup. <laughs> you know, this was a huge step for me to take. And I said, if I'm going to do that, I don't want to pretend like it's something else. I don't want to buy it in a powdered form, no matter how grass fed and great it is, and just add hot water to it and drink it. Like I want to be involved in this process. I want to, I want to honor this animal as much as I can by not shying away from the fact that death is involved, that death is a part of eating 
this kind of food. Like it's just, it's inevitable. I don't want to pretend like it's not. I don't want to buy stuff in a bag or in a box or wrapped in, you know, cellophane, like plastic wrapping and then cook it and cover it and stuff and pretend like it's something else. No, like if I'm going to go down this road, I want to go down this road as raw and as connected to this part of the process as I can be. Um, because for me, that felt like the way to, that would most honor the life of that animal and that would be most present and most real. So eventually, like I drive over to this farm and they keep in the freezer because they save everything from, from each animal. It's a small farm. They keep 20 cows at all times, uh, not more than that. And they actually rent land, part of their land where the cows graze is my father's land. So it also, I don't know, I feel very connected to this farmer. <laughs> anyway, and that land is my grandmother's grandfather's old farm that my dad bought back um, a couple years ago, which is really beautiful. And uh, I just, I just feel very ancestrally connected to that land. So eating, having my first animal-based food be from a cow that graces my family's land where my ancestors lived like that feels it just felt good like it, it made sense to me so I go there I buy these bones like that's where we buy our eggs and I remember then this was in the car I go to get eggs and I come back with this like vacuum sealed pack of bones and it's huge yeah if you've ever had bovine or like cow bones like to eat bone marrow or to make bone broth you know what, what it looks like it's it's big and he's like, what is going on? <laughs> like he was, oh, okay, this is what we're doing. It's not going to be like, you're going to have a little bit of like salmon or a little bit of fish or like, could you have like a can of tuna or like maybe try a little bit of chicken? Like you're going to, you're, you're just, you're buying bone now. <laughs> I'm like, I was like, yeah, it feels more, it makes more sense to start in this direction. You know, it, it felt very hardcore, very, very, very big. But so I brought them home. I probably had them in the freezer for like three months before I got brave enough to actually start preparing them. And I find this recipe that made sense and the preparation of this bone broth, which is still how I make my bone broth today, uh, involves first um, washing and cleaning the bones and then roasting the bones. No, wait, first washing and cleaning the bones, then boiling them quickly and then roasting the bone. And then in fresh water, you add to a huge pot, fresh water, the bones, bay leaves and some spices and peppercorns and onion and carrot and celery and just, yeah, some salt and an apple cider vinegar, which is what helps to pull um, the minerals out of the bone marrow when you're cooking bone broth. And uh, I put this on the stove. <laughs> And I had it simmering, I don't know, 10 hours, like a whole day. And I would add a little water. Like I just kept it simmering for like a really, really, really long time. And the first thing that happened, two things happened. First of all, the dogs went insane. <laughs> like the dogs went totally bananas. Like they've never had animal foods at the house. And they went crazy. They were in the kitchen going nuts. They couldn't stop like smelling at the air. Like I have a video of it that I was just like... <laughs> Yeah, they were just acting very differently. Like it's something very primal happened in that kitchen. And then I thought that I was going to be nauseous because it smells, right? It's, it's an animal food. It's bones. Like it has a very particular smell. And 
I was certain that I was going to feel grossed out. I was ready to open the windows to air things out. But what happened is I just kind of wanted to stand by the pot, breathing in the steam from the broth. I was just stirring and just like really grounded and present in this preparation of these of these bones, which just felt very strange, but also very natural somehow. Like I didn't want to, I didn't feel grossed out. I really thought I would feel grossed out. I didn't. And I set intentions with the pot. I was stirring that pot, envisioning, imagining like my great grandmother doing the same thing. Like I just put myself in a in a in an energy where this was more than just food or something to eat, which it was. It was a, it was a very very big deal. And then I finished it. I strained it. You know, you remove the bones and all the things, and poured it in a bowl and sat down at the kitchen table and prayed and, you know, sat with so much gratitude and this feeling like I'm crossing, I'm taking a step now into something that like, I'm not going to be able to step back from. That was the feeling. And then I couldn't eat it. (laughs) I went through all of that. Like I went through all of that. It was like a three month process and then a whole day. And then I just sat there and I just like, I didn't even taste it. Like I, I, I love the smell. I love just being there. I love the process of it. And then it was just like a barrier of like, I can't, I can't. And I don't know what that I can't was. It was like all the old conditioned views I had of who I'm supposed to be and what is right and what is wrong and life and death and being bad or being good. And just like, I can't, I can't, no. And then I ended up giving that to the dogs. Dennis didn't want it. So the dogs ate together with their (laughs) kibble, like their dry food, really delicious bone broth (laughs) for like a whole, I don't know, week and a half or something they had for for breakfast and dinner. So it was a a beautiful celebration for them as well. And then the bones went in the compost, right? And then I did that one more time. I went through that same process where I was like, okay, well, here we go. I'm going to do this this way. And and I couldn't eat it. And then again, like the dogs had really great food. And then I was sitting again. I was like, okay, so what is it that I want? Okay, well, I used to love, it used to be my favorite food growing up. Really, truly my favorite food, my favorite breakfast growing up was liver pate, which is might sound like fancy to some people or super gross to some people. In Sweden, we have a pate section in the grocery store and eating liver pate is super common. Like, everybody eats it. I mean, I can go to any grocery store, like the smallest grocery store in a tiny town, town and I will find pate for sure. And here there's lots of versions of it. And, you know, like, like the store we go to here normally has like, they have like 15 or 20 different kinds, just so many. And I was like, okay, I used to love that. And that's another thing that this doctor was working with was saying, like eating organ meats would be very beneficial for you. If you can't stomach it or if it feels too big of a step, like I would love for you to take capsules, just liver capsules, just as how you would take a vitamin or a supplement every day. You could even buy it and cut it in small pieces, freeze it, and then add a little piece to your smoothie. You're not going to know it's there. It doesn't taste like anything if you just use a little bit. And then same thing. I was like, well, if I'm going to take this step, like I don't want to put it in a pill and pretend it's something else. I don't want to put it in a smoothie and make it taste like strawberries. You know, like that didn't feel right. 
So I was like, okay, I'm going to find a place where I can source it somewhere really locally where they make it themselves, like a handmade version of this liver pate that I used to love when I was little on toast with pickles and a lot of black pepper. Mm, so so good. I used to love it. And I could feel this kind of like, mm, like I think I could eat that because I used to eat that my whole life. So I find another little farm, not the same place. I had to go further in the other direction where they make like a handmade one. And it also had cream in it. And I hadn't really had dairy yet, but it was like there was cream and milk and liver and then spices and other things. And I was like, this is going to be fine. Like, I'm going to do this. And I'm just going to take a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to have it on toast. And I had a whole thing. I opened the package and I like, you know, had a really nice bread from the bakery. And I had like these pickles that I used to love when I was little, same brand still exists today. And I sit down and I'm just like, oh my God, like, oh, it felt so, it felt so gross. Like it felt so, the smell of the liver was like, I haven't smelled liver. Yeah. Since I was 18 or since I left Sweden, basically, I haven't like that. I haven't come across this food. I couldn't eat it. Again, the dogs had a great meal, (laughs) like a couple of days of like just having this amazing gourmet handmade liver pate with their food. (laughs) I mean, the dogs have been very happy that (laughs) since I transitioned away from veganism. And then finally, I was sitting with one of my best friends um, who's also transitioning away or has transitioned away, but we were in that process almost at the same time. And she went, she was like, listen, you're doing this thing now where you felt, you feel like you want to move away from this label and you're trying to go to another label now. You're listening to the doctors. You're like looking at social media. You're online and like, this is good for me. Bone broth is good. Organ meats is good. Liver is good. She's like, fuck what's good. Like, don't go into that side of your brain and just take a moment to sit here. Like, what are you craving? Like, is there something that your body is really craving? Like, what is your body actually wanting? And that could be vegan foods. It could be non-vegan foods, but like go to that intuition of like, what do you actually crave? And I'm like, well, I have a secret. (laughs) She's like, what is it? I'm like, I'm ashamed to say. She's like, tell me, like, what is it? I'm like, every time I'm at the grocery store and I pass by the rotisserie chicken section, which is a section I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. It's like (laughs) rotisserie chicken. I don't know where that chicken is from. I don't think it's raised well. I don't know what they put in that marinade or the kind of stuff they put on it, but they sell it in Sweden, like warm in this heated kind of section in a bag. (laughs) And it's like a whole chicken you get, like a whole rotisserie chicken. And we used to eat that growing up if we ever had a picnic or like in the summertime, if like we went to the grocery store to grab something with my mom and we were like going for a swim or whatever, she would buy baguette, like a bread, this kind of spreadable cheese. And then she would buy this kind of like chicken in a bag and sometimes potato salad with that, like potato salad from a box. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm craving that chicken so bad. Like I could just like grab it at the store and just eat it with my hands. Like that's, but I'm like super ashamed to say, because that's, it's not local. It's not sustainable. I have no idea, like ethically, like how that chicken was raised. And she was like, okay, well, you got to find a way to make that yourself. Like get, get something that is as close to that as what you can find. 
so it feels good for you and like the process you want to be in, but like go for what you're actually craving. Don't go for the thing that someone's telling you to eat. And I'm like, fuck, she's so right. Like, she's so right. Here I am doing the same thing again, reading a book and like, okay, I'm going to eat that instead of just listening. And that craving that I had for that kind of chicken, it was really bizarre for someone who hadn't had meat for like 15 years, right? That's a really crazy, at least for me, felt like a crazy thing to, to experience. So I decide like, okay, I'm going to find a whole chicken, but I need to find a whole chicken. It needs to be from a farm. It needs to be from someone I can talk to. And I don't know anyone here, like in this area, like I have not come across any farm that, that sells that, that keeps chickens for meat, that sells them whole, where I can talk to someone. Like I just, I, I don't know. So I just said, okay, well, if it's meant to be, I will come across I will come across it. Like it will come my way. Like I'm not going to like hunt for it or Google my way to something crazy and drive five hours to get it. It's just going to happen, right? And then a couple of days later, this was summertime, we were out driving and we come across this little like, um, we call it like a little gorge boutique. It's like a little, it's not even like a store. It's like a little hut next to a farm where you can go in and you can Venmo. Venmo is, we call it Swish here in Sweden. It's Swish. It's like the Venmo of Sweden, basically, where there's no one, like there's no one manning the store. And it's just like, they sell like a little cheese or a little like sour milk or something from the, from the farm. And there was a sign It said whole chicken raised here, organic. And I'm like, holy shit. We go inside and I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be it. This is going to be it. I can't believe it. It's like right away. I find this this thing and then I go inside and it's they don't have it it's like the fridge is empty and I'm like oh shit and I see the little sign and I see the little name of the farm and like the little label that they had I'm like okay well maybe one day we'll be back here or like I'll come across this somewhere else and then next day I'm at the grocery store and I'm not even at the good grocery store like the bigger one we go to sometimes I'm at the very small local one that's like very tiny and I just happened to walk by the section where they sell chicken. And there is that one same little label from that same farm. And there's a sign like just today, <laughs> locally farmed chicken from so-and-so farm, like a couple miles away. And there was one whole chicken left there from that farm. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is it. <laughs> like, this is the sign. This is it. Okay, okay, okay. I put it in my, I was alone at the store. I put it in my basket and I like immediately go to cover it up. I felt so, I felt like people are spying on me in the store. Like I'm a public person. I'm not a super public, it's not like I can't, can't walk down the street in Sweden. It's not like that, but I, Sweden's small and I am kind of a public person here. And I'm like, someone's going to see me and they're going to see that I have a whole chicken in my basket and they're going to crucify me. Like someone's going to take a photo and they're going to put this in some gossip blog. Like they're going to come for me, you know? <laughs> and I just like put a bunch of stuff on top. I try to hide <laughs> the chicken. I cover it up with a bunch of other things. In the store, I look for a recipe because I'm like, I have no idea how to prepare this. I have never in my life, of course not. Like I've, I went vegan when I was 18 the first time. Like I, I never got to be a grown up with my own kitchen and my own household not as a vegan, right? I have no idea how to cook any of this stuff. So I find a recipe for like a garlic herb whole roasted oven chicken and I buy all the ingredients and I feel like I am out buying drugs. 
Like, I feel like I'm in a back alley and at any moment the cops are going to stop me and go like, yo, 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 what's in that? Like, what's in the cart? Like, what do you have there hiding under that celery? Is that chicken? Is that a whole chicken? What are you planning to do with that? Like, I felt felt so under attack and so ashamed and so like, oh my God. And then I'm like, I have to get out of here quickly. I have to take this chicken. (laughs) I have to hide it. I have to pay and I got to get home. (laughs) So I go to pay And I'm just like trying very quickly to like put everything on the belt and I'm like putting stuff on top so it's not going to be visible. And I'm like, just, I'm so, I felt like, you know, when you're like 14 years old trying to buy cigarettes, I have a lot of those experiences, just casually buying other things. I'm 14, putting some soda and some like chips and then just milk and then like casually put like a packet of cigarettes in the middle. Like, yeah, you know, like, like like I do this every day. (laughs) Please don't ID me. I'm a grown up, right? Like that was the feeling I had. And then guess what fucking happens? <laughs> it's time for her to scan the chicken. Like she's scanning all my things that I bought. And because it's like a one of a kind item, it's not like a regular inventory. It's like they really had a special with that farm, like for that day. She's like, oh, like where, where did you find this? I'm like, it was so, it was over there. It's like, I'm just pointing. No, uh, sorry, miss. But where did you find the whole chicken? <laughs> she said very loudly, like the whole like line behind me. It's like, you know, and of course no one gives a shit, but I really felt like everyone is going to give a shit. I'm like, it was over there. It was just like with all the other chickens. She's like, oh, that's so strange. Like, I don't know this product. Okay. I'm going to have to ask for some help. And she like presses the button for the store. And it's like, price check, please for whole chicken. <laughs> aisle whatever or (laughs) register whatever and they had to like stop and then she had to leave and she had to go check for the price and it became like a whole thing and I'm just standing there like wanting to sink through the floor and die while everyone stares at me and my very illegal whole (laughs) chicken purchase (laughs) it's like these people like someone here knows I'm vegan and they know and I was like in my mind making up a story that if someone asks, oh, you know, like you're buying chicken, I thought you were vegan. I would say that actually I'm shopping from, I'm grocery shopping for my brother who's hurt his back right now. And that was true. He was home. I did grocery shop for him a lot at that time. Um, so no, 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 of course not. It's not for, like I made up a fake story in my crazy ass brain for what I would tell a stranger at the grocery store when they confronted me about my chicken purchase. <laughs> I mean, like I can really laugh at this now because it's so stupid. First of all, no one gives a shit. Second of all, a lot of people do give <laughs> do give a shit. Okay, no one gives a shit. A lot of vegans really do give a shit. Like, yeah, so it's like this, there's some duality there. My fear was like a little bit warranted. But who, it's not like I'm going to get confronted at the grocery store by the vegan police. But that's how ashamed I felt. And that says a lot about like, I don't want to call it brainwashing, but I feel like I was very indoctrinated in like, here is the only acceptable way to live. And that is so bizarre. Like it really is so bizarre. Looking at it now, it does not feel compassionate, does not feel healthy, does not feel intuitive, does not feel community-based. Like it's like a community centered around there's only one single way and it's this way and anyone who dares challenge that regardless of if they're like 
really depleted and sick now. Like that, that doesn't matter. It's like sacrifice your own well-being, your own body, your own life on behalf of this ideology, which after what I'm learning now isn't even like true. It's not even the case that veganism is the thing that will save the world, that veganism is the thing that that's the best for the environment. Like it's actually not even the case, especially not how the majority of people are eating vegan foods today, which is packaged from a store. Like, no. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. <laughs> so I, I go home <laughs> with my chicken. Dennis was away. And I'm like starting this process of cooking this whole bird. And I had never, right? My first time ever cooking this ever, ever. And it came, it was like in a plastic, like vacuum sealed thing. And I go to this recipe. I put my computer up. I know there is a thing about raw chicken. Like I don't, I've, I've had to learn all of this, but like you're not supposed to use the regular cook cutting boards that you use for other things. And, and just, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was like trying to figure out what to do. And I prepare all the things, like I had garlic and I had some vegetables and and involved like some butter. I actually bought real butter. It's my first time cooking with real butter, real organic butter. Um, it involved like a little bit of white wine, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, and a lot of herbs. So I go to like step one, um, like take chicken out of packaging. Okay. Step two, wash chicken and pat dry with paper towels. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. In Sweden, we don't really wash our chicken. I've asked a lot of people about this. <laughs> Different cultures do it differently, but like wash it in cold water. Okay, I do that. I have like a prepared like pan I was going to use. And then step three, it said, and I, and I quote, discard neck from cavity. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I don't. Like I couldn't, I, I couldn't follow, like I couldn't compute. Discard neck from cavity. And I'm looking at this sentence and I'm looking at the chicken and I'm looking at this computer and I'm like, discard, like what? What are they talking about? Like I fully do not understand these words and how they are strung together. Discard neck from cavity. First of all, neck, what? Ca cavity, like what is a cat? what are they talking about? <laughs> and then it just dawns on me, oh wait, okay, somewhere inside of this chicken is the neck of the chicken. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, yeah, and this is not a thing for people who prepare animal foods and who prepare meat and prepare whole chickens all the time. Like you just know. And this is not the case with every whole chicken you buy, of course, but oftentimes if you buy them from like a farm, because they preserve the whole bird. Sometimes the innards are still in there. Sometimes the neck is in there. Like sometimes like you can get chicken that still has like some feathers on it. Like it's a very raw primal thing preparing a whole bird. Like it's the thing. It's nothing like buying something that's just like wrapped in plastic and you put it in a pan and you don't like really touch it. Like buying a whole chicken from a farm is a journey. And I just like located the cavity of this chicken, put my hands in there. And yes, it was correct. Inside was a neck. And I pull that out and I'm like, discard. Okay. Compost. Okay. Like this was for me. <laughs> and I was trying to explain it to my friend, the same friend who was like, just like make that rotisserie style chicken that you want to eat. 
this was a psychedelic experience for me. This was an out of body, like, like it was, it was a, it was a very strange experience. And I can laugh at it now because it really was that big of a deal. Like it was so, so, so bizarre. And I'm just like following these steps and these steps involved like taking a bunch of this organic butter that I had, making like a compound butter with herbs and stuff, and then stuffing that under the skin of this bird. And I did all of this and I did it. I was very, very there and also very not there. Like it was, it was a spiritual, but not really spiritual. It was like a primal experience. That's something that came so naturally to my ancestors, something that like really Swedish people and people across the world have been doing for thousands of years, preparing animals in this way. Like I have become so disconnected from that that this for me really felt like I was high on something. Like it was, and as I have my hand underneath the skin of this bird, stuffing it with butter, and then I had to also like cut cut up lemons and put herbs inside the cavity. Like this was a whole process, okay? Did not feel like cooking. It really felt like I am in ceremony. I'm like, where is the shaman coming out of the woodwork to tell me like, you have leveled up now. <laughs> like it was just, it was a, yeah. As I'm there with my hand under the skin of the bird, Dennis and Leia come home. Leia runs in and of course, like this had been, because we were already eating egg. Then Dennis was eating fish and I had already started having these conversations with her in a really major way and all the time. And this is another question I want to answer, of course, which is like, how did we transition with Leia? But basically, I had started telling her that mama is eating differently now. Like mama now is wanting to try different kinds of foods. We have been vegan for a very long time and mama is not feeling so good being vegan anymore. So mama is going to start eating some some animal foods and you don't have to. You can eat whatever you want to eat. If you're interested or if you have questions or if you want to try something, you're super welcome to try. But we're going to have some different kinds of things on the ta- on the table now. And I just kind of started having those conversations with her. And she already knew. Of course, she knew people eat animals. And we were spending tons of time with my brother then. My brother's a huge carnivore. Um, so she's always been around, like, especially in the, I mean, I mean, back then she was like, what, four and a half or, or something. It's not like she had that many years of cognitively really sitting with and thinking about what's on people's plates. But of course she knew like people eat different things. And not once did she have like a huge resistance or like a, oh, but I don't want that or but that's bad. She was, she was always just curious. She's like, oh, okay, okay. So, so you're eating egg, okay? And then the egg comes from, so the egg comes from the chicken, and it looks like this. And we would watch videos, and then we would go visit farms. And she got to pick her own egg, and she got to have a very hands-on experience, uh, which was also very positive around like here is how we actually source this food, which is something that up until that point she had only been able to do with whatever vegetables that we could grow in our own garden. Like, oh, we grew this tomato, we pick it, we put it on our plate. Here's an egg we put it on our plate. But I hadn't brought home, like I had, we, had, we had never had a chicken, like a whole chicken in the house. And she comes in, she runs up to me and she was like, oh my God, what is that? And I'm like, this is a chicken, a whole chicken. I'm like, yeah, it's a whole chicken. She's like, ooh, it looks so gooey. Can I touch it? And I'm like, okay, but then you got to wash your hands. 
And then she like put her fingers on it and she's like, it's so cold. Like, what are you putting on there? And I'm like, I'm putting butter. And like, she's like, is that the leg? I'm like, yeah. And then she like, I don't know. I was expecting her to be like freaking out or scared or concerned. She was just very curious. She was just very intrigued. Um, She asked if she could help. She wanted to put butter on top. Like she was just very, yeah, it wasn't a crazy transition. Like I, I thought it would be, it would be this like from, night today kind of thing no and uh, then it's just like okay so I'm like yeah we're having a whole oven roast whole whole chicken for dinner he's like okay cool <laughs> and then anyway I finished you had to like tie the chicken up in the end put it in the oven for a long time it came out of the oven like I was drooling like I was actually physically drooling like I was craving it like I would crave chocolate on my period like I would crave like it was this like oh my god I want it now it looked so good it really was like a beautiful for someone who'd never done it before it really I did really well on my first day we sit down we say a prayer and then it was it is still it's very important to me that Leia also grows up that way that if we are going to eat animal foods that we give thanks that it's actually not the same thing as harvesting a tomato from your from your garden or eating tofu or eating zucchini like that we actually say thank give thanks and that we actually honor the fact and emphasize the fact that this bird had a life this bird was alive this bird was breathing moving walking and now we're eating this bird as like a full cycle of of nourishing ourselves and we did that <laughs> Dennis was, this was his first time eating meat, like again, like eating some kind of meat. And he had the same reaction as I had. It was so delicious. I had no hesitation. I didn't feel strange. I just was like, I could have, I could have had that whole bird on my own. And I was scared. Like, am I going to get a tummy ache? Am I, is my stomach going to flip out? None of that happened. Uh, This whole time as I've transitioned to animal foods, I haven't had any digestive stuff actually other than my digestion becoming more regular um less dramatic I guess I could say just I feel like my digestive system has just calmed down like there's definitely been a healing happening there but what I thought would happen which is like I'm gonna have like massive yeah I'm I'm gonna feel terrible this is gonna want to exit my body right away or it's gonna get stuck in my body and I won't be able to get it out not at all. Not at all. And as we are going in for seconds, and Dennis is like standing up at the kitchen table with a fork and like a, a knife, carving knife, <laughs> cutting into this chicken, all of a sudden the door is thrown open, front door, and in steps my brother. He's like, hey, did you guys have dinner yet? I didn't eat yet. And he just like walks into the house and looks at us and, he, and it's just silence. Like Leia's looking at him. I'm looking him like a deer caught in headlights, like I'm caught doing something really crazy. Dennis is standing there holding the carving knife. Like it was just like 10 seconds of pure shock and silence. And my brother goes, so this is what happens in this household when I'm not around, huh? And then he just grabbed a plate, pulled out a chair and sat down. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. And that was our first... That was our first experience eating animal. Yeah. I mean, aside from egg, like animal product, but like eating animal. 
And from that moment on, I started feeling like I was already in the transition. Like it wasn't that huge of a climb anymore, that big, crazy step. But not only had I sourced, you know, not only had I intuitively felt for what is it that I actually crave, that I actually want to eat, what does my body want, but I was able to source and prepare and enjoy a family meal based around animal foods in a way that felt really special, in a way that felt really grounded and so extremely nourishing, like so extremely nourishing. And Leia had a little, she asked for some. I had prepared something else for her on the side. I don't know what it was, but she asked to try, like the way she's always very curious around food. She's great at trying new things. And then always, always, I guide her to trust her own intuition. We never make her eat food she doesn't want to eat. We never tell her, you know, 10 more bites and you get dessert. It's just like, I'm full. And then sometimes I'll ask her, like, can you like really check in with your body? Are you feeling, are you really feeling full? And then she'll check. Yeah, I'm full. Okay. And if that day she ate a little bit, or if that day she cleaned her plate, like, doesn't matter. Like, I want her to grow up with the intuition that I was, that was kind of taken from me, the way I think it's taken from a lot of us who were forced to eat foods we didn't want to eat, or who were forced to clean our plates, even though we felt full or forced to kind of have this pressure around eating that a lot of us have just, I think, generationally from politeness and also from like a scarcity place. You know, like you don't know if you don't know when your next meal is coming, like maybe our great grandparents or people way back in our, in our lineage experienced that. Of course, we're going to grow up wanting our kids to f- clean their plates and be grateful that there is food. But um, I'm intentionally not raising Leia that way. So we've, of course, gone about that similarly or the same now with, with animal foods. So she asked to try. She had some aioli on the side. Aioli is her favorite thing. It's like one of the first things that she started loving that wasn't animal, that was animal based, that wasn't vegan. Um, like an aioli or a mayo, like she really, really, really loves. I was able to take more and more steps away from veganism, just being able to really trust in my intuition. And from that, we eventually transitioned. We've been having, I mean, we've, there's no animal. I'm trying to think, is there an animal food that I haven't had yet? For Leia, what it looked like, I want to answer this question. I know this, this podcast is going to be a little longer than our regular pods, if that's okay. But a lot of people have been asking, so what about for Leia? So for her, <laughs> the, one of the first things that she wanted to have was real meatballs, So she was having vegan meatballs, like meatballs made from soy or meatballs made from peas, or it's actually not peas, it's pea protein isolate, which is a highly processed product that I thought was like peas. It's not peas. Uh, Very different for for our bodies to digest. But she was eating that a lot. And we were somewhere and they served real meatballs, meatballs made with real meat, and I really had to explain because, of course, they looked they look very similar. They taste very similar. It is like a semi-processed food. Now, this was like a good meatball made with minced like beef and, you know, and like, okay, so these look the same, but these are made from cow. You know, the cows that we like wave to when we drive by or that we go here or that our cousins keep at the farm or the cows that Ludwig has. So this is made from a cow. So a cow had to die for this food to be here. 
And I've really made that effort to talk about death with her, for that to be part of the cycle, for her to not have to have that cognitive kind of disconnect of, well, I love animals, but then like not knowing fully that that's like death of that animal is involved when you're eating it. And she's asked questions like she, she, one of the first things she asked, she's like, okay, so the animal was very old. Was the animal sick? Because that's her concept of death is that you're old and sick, right? We talk about death a lot. And I would say, no, no. So these are animals that are kept for people to eat them, um, for people who feel really good eating meat, who grow really strong eating meat. Not everybody wants to eat meat, but some people's bodies feel really good. And mama's body right now wants to eat meat because it's helping me stay healthy and feel good. Um, but we have to feel in our own bodies how we feel. You know? But these meatballs are made from a cow. And she said, okay, well, I want to taste it. And if I don't like it, I don't want to eat it. And I said, okay. And she ate it. And then I think she had, like, that was her first time eating meat ever. And I think she had eight meatballs or something. And I remember like, okay, I don't want to limit her. I don't want to impose like a fear here. Like maybe this is going to make you feel like shit. But I didn't know. Like that was a leap. <laughs> she also had potatoes and lingonberries and pickles and like all the things that we normally eat when we eat meatballs here in Sweden. She had like a whole proper meal. But she had, for someone who's never had meat ever in her life, in her body, she ate a lot of it. <laughs> loved it. This is so delicious. And then she said, mama, I think I want to have these kinds of meatballs at home and not the other ones. And I was like, okay. And then nothing like no weird poop, no constipation no diarrhea, no stomach ache, nothing at all. Aside from this massive feeling of liberation in terms of, oh, we can actually go to restaurants now like that. I didn't know how, how limiting that had been for us which of course it is for every vegan living in a non-vegan world, not being able to go out to eat. But knowing now, like we can take our kid and we can go anywhere at any time and there's going to be something for her to eat without us having to have a fight or a struggle or bring our own or, you know, it's, it's, that feeling is something. I mean, it, it was for me who, who'd never experienced that with her. And then, so since then, yeah, she loves, loves meatballs. She loves, her favorite food, if you ask her, is hamburgers. And it was kind of like when we transitioned from the vegan version of meats to real, like, meat-based versions of, the, of those meats, she started eating a lot more of them. I don't know. It was like, it, I don't know if I want to compare it to Dennis eating fish, but it was just like, she was all of a sudden cleaning off her plate completely a lot more than she was when she when when she had that more processed version of it. And of course, it's a difference if I'm making it myself from scratch, which I never did if we had vegan meatballs. I wouldn't even know. Like you can buy, of course, vegan mince, but that's like a highly processed food. It's not a from scratch food, right? It It, it digests differently in your body and it's full of additives and of course, preservatives and things like that and flavorings and stuff. So making our own meatballs at home and she gets to be there to roll them and make them and cook them. And it's it changes the process also of how she eats, I think. But she really loves, uh, yeah, like a minced meat, something that we make at home is her is her, is her her favorite thing. And if she gets to choose any night of the week, what, what, what do you want to have for dinner? She'll eat a burger. And this kid will eat like a four or five, like she'll eat like a 400 gram <laughs> like one of those gourmet, very nice, like really expensive burgers. Like she'll eat that on her own. If we go to a restaurant ever 
and uh, and they have burgers on the menu. There's always like a kid's burger and then there's like a grown-up burger, like a grown-up 300 gram and a kid's burger is like a 90 gram or something. We always order her the grown-up version without the spicy, whatever they have, chili stuff. She wants it just with cheese, uh, pickles, tomato, and ketchup. Like that's how she eats her burger. And she will clean that plate. Like she will eat that ginormous burger. Like she's, yeah. So one of the first things that happened with her is that she gained a lot of weight in a really, really, really beautiful way. So she was never scrawny or like someone's looking at her and like something's wrong with her. Like she's not eating enough, but she was close to that. Um, She was close to that. And uh, when we came back to Aruba now, after having been away for a week, or I mean for a year, we were away for a year. And so many people who saw her for the first time had like a real reaction of like, oh my God, like she's a big girl now. Like she really... Yeah, I mean, she I don't know how much she 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 weighs now because we don't really keep a, a scale around. But you can just tell she filled out, she's sturdier, she's stronger, she's really tall. And when she was vegan, I kind of had that feeling like I always wanted to put more food into her. Like I had that it was like an intuition that I had just as a mom that everywhere we went, I packed snacks. Everywhere we went, I was always like putting more food into her. Just like, you know, offering food all the time, offering snacks all the time, lots of options on the dinner table always. So there's lots of things to choose from. So she would always have a lot. But I, what I'm recognizing now is I had that intuitive feeling of depletion and deprivation there. So that I was always a little stressed. Like, I don't know if she's having enough. I don't think she's having enough. I always wanted her to have more, but I also don't want to force her and be that parent that's like five more bites, you know? So I was just always like a little bit stressed around food, never leaving the house without lots of snack options, you know, always like thinking of the next place we're going to eat and what is there available for her? What can she eat? And, you know, she ate a lot of rice and a lot of pasta. She loved tofu. She wasn't, you know, as, as a little, as a kid, she wasn't like super into vegetables, right? So I'm thinking back, like she had a very kind of lean like her diet was very low calorie overall, like the way vegan diets are lower calorie and I think now less nutritious overall than a whole foods animal-based diet is. And since she stopped being vegan, like now she has, instead of vegan butter made out of a bunch of seed oils, she has real grass-fed organic butter with everything. (laughs) It's her favorite, like one of her favorite things. Like she wants like half an inch of butter on top of her bread if she's eating bread. Like she just, we cook our food in butter or ghee now, where before I used to cook in just a bunch of different kinds of oils. And now we cook in, yeah, we cook in animal fats mainly. If I'm using any vegetable fats to cook, I use avocado oil just because it's an oil you can bring food to really high temperatures with without it oxidizing so quickly. But yeah, so she's just like, she has way more fat, way more protein, more calories, just more, she has more food in her system now, like just overall. And that feeling that I always had where I was a little bit stressed that she's not getting enough. There was a little bit stressed that she's depleted. I was always like, you know, making her take vitamins and supplements. And like, I had that kind of feeling like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she needs more. She needs more. She needs more. I don't have that feeling anymore. Like we get in the car, there's no snacks (laughs) in the car. I have this like feeling of trust. Like if we get hungry, there's going to be food for us there. 
versus like, if we get hungry, we're fucked. Like there's a stress, there's like a survival feeling there that causes a level of stress in the everyday life. And also just looking at her now, like her energy levels, her sleep, her, how happy she is, just how her body looks, like how, like she's a really nourished kid now. And I spend way less time thinking about what we are eating, how much to eat. Is there enough? Will we find food? Does she need a supplement? Is, you know, that kind of like nitpicking of everything all the time, which is in the back of my head as a vegan all the time. Like, is there going to be food for us? And of course, it's like a natural feeling to have as a vegan because the truth often is there is no food for us. You have to like go a lot of extra steps to find food, to source food, to prepare food, especially if you're moving around or traveling or eating out. Like it's a re- it, it is a challenge. It's like a valid fear. Like, is there going to be food for us? Are we going to be depleted here? Are we going to find something like healthy-ish or not? And now that feeling is just gone. <laughs> and I'm con- like, my concern now is like sourcing our food in a really wholesome way. Like I would like it to be, in Sweden, we have a really great word that I love. It's called odlat. So the word for locally produced is odlat, which means grown nearby, odlat. But there's a word called odlat, which means grown here. Like it's grown here where I stand. Um, so my, I'm more in that kind of like exciting energy of I want to source my food here. I want to eat what grows here. I want to eat I want to eat it when it grows here as much as humanly possible. And we cook most of our meals at home, of course, and then this is a question I get a lot, like so what do you do when you're out and you can't guarantee that that like how the food is sourced. Yeah. And I'm I was very very concerned about that in the beginning and like would choose restaurants and ask and and of course you can still do that, but I am much more relaxed now. Like I am not aiming for perfection. I'm not aiming for obsession around a diet the way I was when I was a vegan. I'm not aiming for like, this is unacceptable and we will starve if not. Like I had a, one of my tea teachers told me once that like the same kind of reverence that we want to give, say if we're eating, um, like, yeah, the way I was preparing that bone broth, for example, or the way I prepared that first chicken. Like we, 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 we give thanks. There's a sense of reverence here that this is sacred, that this is a big deal. It's not just an animal's life discarded and now it's food and then you move. Like it, it's something, right? It's like you, you, can, you can eat with, a, with intention or you can eat completely mindlessly. Like, of course, we want to eat with intention. But then when you can't source that food and you're at a restaurant, does that mean that you don't care? Does that mean that that intention goes out the window? Does that mean that... All of a sudden, there's no mindfulness here. There's no gratitude here. And she said something along the lines of like, whether you're eating a burger at McDonald's, because that's what was available to you then, or like, yeah, that's where you are, or you're sourcing this like incredibly like sustainable wild game, you know, like hunted by a friend of yours and you're sitting in ceremony with that. And it's like, wow, like you should treat those two things the same. Like an animal is an animal, food is food. Don't discard the mindfulness and the intention and the sacredness of it because it wasn't grown 
it wasn't grass-fed or because it wasn't grown organically or because it's not up to the standards that you have said that this is what your food has to be. Like bring that same intention and that same gratitude into everything if you're eating animal foods. And back when she told me this, this was like in a circle, it was in a response to someone else asking a question about something. I was so triggered. I was vegan then. (laughs) I was so triggered. I could not believe she was like talking about kind of encouraging people to source wild game and to and like how to, to eat meat sustainably and, 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 and to source it in the most ethical way possible. I was like, this is bullshit. Like the most ethical way to source animal foods is to not do it. <laughs> you know, how can you sit here on a high horse saying that this is sacred? There's nothing sacred about taking someone else's life. And I'm sitting here now, a couple of years have passed that whole conversation stayed with me. It definitely moved me. It, it, it didn't just pass me by. And I have a completely different viewpoint now. I really do. I actually feel living life without death is living a less sacred life, is living a more disconnected life. Raising my kid to believe that there is no death or death shouldn't exist is less real less true to what what nature actually is. And I have no intention on becoming this obsessive perfectionist around this is the only way and then telling everybody else, you cannot do this and you have to, like I am not, again, telling anyone what to do. I'm just sharing my own journey and what is working for us right now. And I am going to continue to do the best I can to source the animal foods that we eat in an as ethical and as sustainable way as possible, which lucky for me, I can do the majority of the time. But I'm not going to be that person that sacrifices her own well-being for the sake of a cause, for the sake of an ideology, for the sake of an idea of what is right and what is wrong. And that feeling I have now in my body of, my nervous system just grounding more. Like there's a settling that's happened in my whole being now around food. That has come from no longer depriving myself, no longer telling myself this is allowed, this is not allowed. And what's that? what that's done is it's actually relaxed me in a lot of ways, even beyond this. Like we traveled, we were just in, we went skiing for a week and then driving down there's nothing just literally like we passed almost no places to eat like there's almost nothing on the way Uh, and we were driving at night like a weird hour and stopping at a grocery store and I'm like yeah let's have some candy (laughs) like like we all want a snack like you know like I just like bought like a bag of whatever fruit like I, I don't I don't even know what's in it like honestly And I felt so relaxed about that. That was really fun. It was like a treat for us to have in the car. Dennis and I have been eating some marabou chocolate, which is a Swedish kind of chocolate that I, like it it was my childhood. Like it used to make my childhood. I had a, what did I have the other day? I had had a soda the other day. (laughs) I have a video of Leia trying her first soda. It's amazing. I didn't put it on Instagram because I feel like I'm going to get a lot of hate and I'm just... <laughs> I'm just feeling very comfortable not not entering that sphere. But I was just like I'm really craving a soda. Like I'm really craving like this. And wasn't a big deal. Like it really like that feeling of just like 
I, I'm not going to sit here drinking Coca-Cola every day with every meal. Of course not. But like, I don't think I've had Coke since, I don't even know, probably drunk somewhere. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But that feeling of like, oh, I have a little craving for something and it's fun and I can do that once and not have anxiety about it or shame myself about it or sit and research like the horrible additives and and crazy things that are now in my system and how are they going to go away and oh like I had so much obsession around so many things that gave me such stress like it was a stress to think about that all the time and obsess about that all the time and now it's like we ate that bag of candies driving down and I haven't thought about it since like I didn't think about it until just mentioning it now it didn't come back the next day. Oh, that was bad for me or what, you know, no, like it's, it's, it's like, I, I really want to live my, I want to live my life. I don't want to live to eat or have my life be completely centered around like what is right and what is wrong and what is bad and what is good around what I put in my body. Like I want to rest in my enjoyment of life and food. And I've realized now that I feel full, I feel nourished now. I don't feel the stress anymore around depletion or not having enough or worry or, you know, is it right or wrong or bad or good? Like I just feel a sense of calm and that has allowed me to calm down in a lot of areas that no longer I sense this kind of like panic of, yeah, and I'm going to continue doing my best. And it feels really fun to (laughs) have what I think is a more normal, natural approach to food. Like food is nourishment food sustains us, but food can also be super harmful. Like for me, how I lived my life and how my brain worked as a vegan was actually harmful. It was no fun sitting around a dinner table with me talking about veganism. No fun to live in this dogmatic, like, you know, everyone else is bad and this is the only good way. Like that is no way, at least for me anymore, to live. Like I don't want to live like that anymore. And There's something about this feeling of, it's like a, in my body, I have a very calm, grounded feeling of nourishment now. And that trumps every other ideology or idea that I had about what I was supposed to or not supposed to eat or what's right and what's wrong. And when people ask, like, how could you make that trend? That must have been so, like, psychologically so hard the moment I started doing that with intention and with awareness, it didn't anymore. It didn't feel unnatural. It didn't feel harmful. It didn't feel like, you know, this horrible murder, horror thing, which I had always told the world that it was. It actually felt like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to eat. This is what my body craves. This is me being part of the food chain. This is me stepping closer to the heart of nature. Like this is this is me being a part of the ecology of this world rather than stepping outside of it and into something that's more around technology or I don't know, the way I was eating as a vegan wasn't, yeah, it wasn't nourishing. And I have been getting those comments and this is a comment I actually screenshotted and saved because it was such a, it was to me like, we say in Swedish, which is like someone who just like nailed the issue in one comment. And I had 
I shared like a little snippet from a documentary that I watched that I really recommend. Uh, it's called To Which We Belong. And it's a documentary around regenerative agriculture, regenerative farming, and how to restore the soil and how we actually need animals and animal grazing to do that. And I shared a little snippet about that. And, I, and then I had written like, I wrote a sentence and it said something around like eating in a way that aligns with nature feels so nourishing to me, feels so good to me. I said, I wrote something like that, like eating this way, like makes me feel so good. And the person commented, fuck you. I remember when you used to eat in a way because it was good for the animals. And I, I was just like, like, this is to me kind of encapsulates the whole thing that, that I accepted for so long that it's okay for me to feel shittier. It's okay for me to feel depleted. It's okay for me, like I am supposed to self-sacrifice to make sure that, that no animal loses their life because of me. And I was somehow thinking that that made total sense, that my self-sacrifice was valid, my self-sacrifice, of course it should be that way. I didn't even think of it as sacrifice because it's like, how could, how could I possibly eat an animal that lives and breathes and has babies and feels feelings? And now I'm like, how could I put, take myself out of that circular system, like that most foundational cycle of life and put myself in a place where I was below the animal, where actually my well-being mattered less for the sake of, of ideology, for the sake of, of, I don't know, of wanting to be a good person. Like that, that thing where, where there's a, yeah, there's like a level of priority for well-being and I'm on the bottom of that, you know, like the animal comes above me and I'm below here and that self-sacrifice is supposed to happen. I don't believe in that anymore. And I actually think that there's something a little bit delusional around we should be malnourished or not take care of ourselves or not be nourished to our potential on behalf of anybody else. Like that's, and at least for me now, like that's not, that's not what self-love is. It's not what love is. Self-sacrifice, like I don't practice self-sacrifice anymore in any area of my life. Not as a mother, not as a wife, not as a boss, not with myself, not in my place in this world or in the food chain. So rather, what is a more interesting conversation to me now is how can I eat in a way that nourishes me so completely, that reflects self-love first, that fills my cup, but that minimizes the harm? or that doesn't take part in the huge cycles of suffering that exist out there in the world. I don't have to take part in factory farming, for example, just because I'm not vegan. I can still eat in a very conscious, very mindful, very present way and not kid myself that there's no death here, that there's no suffering here. And how do I know that that's the right thing for me? Well, because it feels good for me. It really, really does. And that's a hard thing to explain to someone who doesn't have that same intuitive feeling. So then probably, you know, it's not for everyone at this point in life. But one of the, one of the most nourishing things that we eat a lot of now is game. Uh, my brother hunts. 
uh, a lot and we'll stash our freezer with mousse, uh, for example. So almost, yeah, a lot of the time where we would have like a minced meat, like a beef, like if I'm making a hamburger or a meatball or a bolognese or a stew, uh, we eat moose. And my brother will go out to hunt and one moose will feed 20 families, literally. Like they have like a hunting team with like a lot of guys that go together and everyone comes home with just massive amounts of really, really high, highly nutritious animal protein that keeps in the freezer forever that can nourish our families in a really beautiful way without that animal having to be fed grain or hormones or antibiotics or live its life in a feedlot or be forced through the process of a slaughterhouse or get sick or get in all of that unnatural process of sourcing meat and this factory large huge scale way like it's accessible like it really is at least here if you live in Sweden it totally is and like there's even that part when I think about that like there's death like even if it's better and it's less and it's not factory farming and it's this at the end of the day that animal still died like there's still death there And I can sit here today, like I'm a year from, was a year ago that I had that chicken experience now, or almost a year, I think. And I feel okay with that death, (laughs) strangely. Like I never thought I would say that, but I really feel the truth of the fact that that is a part of life, that is a part of this cycle, that is a part of probably... (laughs) just probably but yes how things are supposed to be and we can or have to I think find our own way to navigate that and talk about that and the next step from this is probably and people are going to lose their minds if I do this but we talk about this a lot like getting a hunting license and learning how to hunt to become a part of that myself So not just being the one who processes and cooks the food in the kitchen, but if I'm going to do that and I want to be absolutely intentional and present around it, should I not also take part in the actual moment of death of that animal? Is that not the way to honor the animal the absolute most? And that's kind of what I want to gravitate toward. I'm not there yet. I mean, I'm still... Like I'm always going to be the person that if I see a stray dog in the street, I'm going to pick that stray dog up and take it home the way I've done with hundreds of dogs in my lifetime. Like I will never condone animal abuse. Like it's not, these things for me are not synonymous. Like I'm eating animal foods now. So I think animal abuse is good. No, no, I'm just not willing to compromise my nourishment for the sake of an, of a belief anymore. And maybe one day, like we will have the kind of homestead here where we raise our own chickens and we eat their eggs throughout their lifetime. And we, you know, make sure they have an amazing life here with us on the farm. And at the end of their life or when the time is right, we harvest that chicken. And that chicken is the one that goes in my oven and ends up on our plates. Like I'm obviously not there today, but that's the direction I want to move in. I would love to to live in that kind of closed circle 
and cycle of life and death and life and death and life and death. And also raise my kids that way. <sighs> but not today. <laughs> not, not ready for that today, but maybe one day. I answered like four of your questions and I got so, so many good questions around everything from, I got a lot of questions about poop that I really wanted to answer. People ask like, what's a regular food? Like, how is a day of eating for you now? You know, a lot about pregnancy. I got a lot of questions around how this pregnancy is different from the old one, but from the old one, from my last one. So I, I know this is going to be a conversation that, that we continue um, for sure. But something that I just kind of want to close with is I feel good talking about this now. And it took me a while. I'm also, I'm very sensitive being pregnant just to feedback. And when I get one of those waves of kind of hate and judgment online, it's much more challenging for me to let go of when I'm pregnant versus when I'm not. <laughs> so I intentionally took some time off away from talking about this topic because still every single time I post something that I'm eating yesterday I shared I had black pudding and lingonberry jam for lunch black pudding is blood pudding um, it's also a childhood food here something I grew up eating it is delicious it is amazing it is so nutritious truly and uh yeah I, I can't count how many really upset comments that led to from vegans who still follow me, who are still very upset, who have a lot of, yeah, hold a lot of big emotions around my choice to transition away and who don't agree and who maybe you're listening to this podcast now the whole time as I'm talking going, fuck, I hate you. You're so stupid. This is so, you know, and you're allowed to feel those feelings. You totally are. But expecting me to change on behalf of how what you think is right for me is just, it's just not going to happen. And I feel like really I am integrated enough into this <laughs> new way of living now and feel so good doing so that I feel grounded again and ready to talk about food again. And I can kind of navigate that commentary much easier now. Because at the end of the day, like nothing is going to, nothing is going to be more important or somehow go above like how nourished we are as a family. And I keep coming back to that. And then no matter what you present my way, I'm not going to go against that inner intuition ever again. Like I'm not, I'm not. And that is also why you didn't hear me mention any kind of specific diet now, or I'm doing this one or this one. No, there's no one. If there's any form or lifestyle that I am sort of inspired by now, it's pro-metabolic eating. And it's not a diet that I follow. I don't think it's even a diet, but I'm inspired by the pro-metabolic lifestyle, which is actually a, something that comes from biology and not nutrition. It's just a different way of looking at nourishment. And I'm, if you're interested in that, you can do a little bit of research around that. But that is why um, some of you have been asking. It's why I, I absolutely don't fast anymore, ever. I used to fast, used to think fasting is great. I, as, as a woman, I will, you will never catch me fasting another <laughs> day of my life in not even intermittent or anything like that. It's also why I don't drink coffee on its own. It's different since I'm pregnant now, but I will never again, like wake up and have a cup of coffee. Like I used to back in the day, I will only drink coffee with food now and pair my coffee with sugar and fat 
which is something I would have never done before. I love having some egg yolk. If I'm having, I have one cup a day now. I, I feel really good in this stage of pregnancy to drink coffee. I didn't want to in the beginning. But it's also why I eat within 30 minutes of waking up. I don't wait too long to have breakfast anymore. And I like to eat something very protein heavy first thing in the morning. Um, so I eat like a Turkish yogurt or a Greek yogurt, like a high fat, full fat, um, organic yogurt, sometimes with a little bit of like applesauce or a little bit of organic honey or uh, sometimes with fruits, but just something like protein forward like that I'll have right away. Um, and just a couple of other little shifts that I've made for myself, including just eating more. <laughs> Never thought I would say that, that I'm like really happy to be eating more, <laughs> but I am, I am, I am. So yeah, there'll be more episodes and keep asking me questions. And thank you for sending in such thoughtful questions and for listening to this whole entire episode. We're an hour and 45 minutes in and you're still here. So I know this is a topic that's very much on all of our minds. And I think a lot of us are just looking for that way of nourishing ourselves that feels like home again. And the only thing we know for sure is that no one has it figured out in a way that goes for everybody. So exactly how I'm doing it, it's not going to be what's perfect for you, right? And the only way to find what's great for us is to find our way back to our intuition, to learn how to listen again to what feels good, like what really feels good, what feels nourishing, what feels like it's filling me, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, energetically, what feels like fullness, what feels abundant. And I feel so grateful to say that even as I'm six months pregnant speaking these words, I, uh, I really feel nourished right now and I'm grateful for that. So thank you. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you so much. I'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I'll see you next week.